Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game, Rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to reasonable languages for all ages, listeners should know that this is a podcast that may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., may bear resemblance to persons living or dead, but is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Okay, and welcome back. Uh, so thank you for joining us this uh, day or evening that you're listening to us. My name is Michael Diamond. I am the keeper for the evening. And to my right, I have... Lonnie, and I'll be playing Lawrence Edward Oliver Forsyth, who is currently at the bottom of a hole... You do find yourself in all sorts of interesting locations, don't you? I have no comment at this time. <laughs> we'll get you there. And then uh, opposite me. That's Jake. I'm playing uh, Jack Doyle, private and detective. And you're doing some detecting recently. Uh, some... Yeah, found some disturbing information out that I'm not really happy about. But, you know, we'll make do. It happens to us all. Uh, and then to my left. Uh, Tiffany playing Mae Boche. Uh I just got home. You did just get home. Speaking of that, home feels a little stranger for you this Friday morning. It's early. You don't know if it's the time change from having come back from the East Coast, but Friday morning is a little bit, uh, a little bit of a wet blanket around your head. You feel a little groggy. And you think you know why as soon as you stare across the room at the clock on the wall. It reads 6.05. A.M.? Yep. It's early. It is early, but you've remembered that the past few days have been, well, they've run together, quite honestly. Uh, you spent much of the train travel home still poring over the text that you found on Swift. Right. And the, the text has been relatively uh, easy enough to read. Nice enough for them to park at least the book text in English. The other text, well, you're still working on deciphering. So my question to you is this Friday morning, what does Miss O'Shea decide is her best bet at five past six to do with her Friday morning. Having breakfast, yep. making coffee, mm-hmm. and then I am, yeah, gonna, once it become, uh, I'm gonna look over my notes that I made from the train, mm-hmm. and then um, once it becomes a reasonable hour, I mean, I'll probably, theoretically, I'll probably have to wait till this afternoon to get a hold of anybody about any work this weekend. Okay, so the idea might be to dive back into the club scene and see if you can pull a weekend gig somewhere. Yeah, I haven't heard from anybody else, mm-hmm. so I guess I'm just going to assume that whatever we went through, they're dealing with on their own way, and yeah, we I mean, all pretend life is, goes on, even though I'm not going to, but you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then as far as the, as far as the reasonable hour is concerned, it's... 6 a.m. in Chicago on a Friday. And so, I mean, the, the city is waking up and it soon will be uh, the business hour. Right, but a lot of the clubs and stuff aren't going to, I don't think any of the managers are going to be in any of the clubs yet. Probably not till this afternoon. And that all depends on the club, but that's also an area where you do have some contact within the city. So you've been working as a, as a, a singer and a traveling from club to club so you probably have a better feel for it so yeah maybe uh, around nine or ten some of the folks would be getting resupplied and maybe there might be a bar manager there something like that yeah then i'll call you know a couple of places to see what they have going on and okay so if if you're gonna if you're gonna review your notes i would like you to test versus your 
language skill. This is kind of purely just to go over and and go over your notes to make sure that they're concise enough versus the information you you can pull from the text. Uh, I rolled a 60. I have a 70 in language. Okay. okay. So you kind of peruse over your notes, pick over some of the things that the tome points out, and a couple of things become fairly evident to you after doing a full review. You don't believe that Swift wrote most of this. Because it almost feels like, just with the way the pen flows, and you having seen some of the other things that he's made notes on, the handwriting is close, but it's not the same. And furthermore, this almost feels like the person who had a hold of this pen had a a purpose what they were writing it. It was almost as if this was made for him. Okay. Perhaps an an instruction manual? Perhaps. Many things could potentially be gleaned from it. I guess the idea I want to get to is how far do you think Miss O'Shea is willing to go in the study of the tone? I mean, she's going to obviously continue to work, and she has studied it for, what, now a week? Yeah. So, she's got her initial reading done. Do you think she would go forward and do a full study of what's here? I think so, only in the fact that uh, she's seen the creature, she knows it's not dead... In case there's still the cultists at Dunning. Mm-hmm. So I think so. And also because if there's any thread that it could connect anyway to her family, she's going to find it. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So what we'll do is we will kind of jot a little note down. So you have that on um, you have a copious notebook, obviously. Um, so I would like you to just jot a note down by that actual mythos tone that make a mark by it that shows that that's what you're fully studying and then we'll count the initial read through towards that full study okay um and so you'll need to study it for another three weeks to potentially unlock what might be in store for you and we'll hold you there for just a moment mr doyle you finish up with your uh, late dinner with Stasi last night, and after a few drinks, try to get a, a better handle on all of the disparate thoughts and feelings that you're having given what you've uncovered. Even reading over the article, even seeing Larkin's name. Each time you read over it, you get this feeling like, like there's something about this you should know. There's something here, but it's it's almost like fog. It's every time you grab for it, it just it it pushes aside. It slips through whatever connection your brain's trying to make. And I got to tell you, it it brings that next drink way way easier. That it does. Uh, Around about 7 or 8 the next morning, um, you finally wake up, and you had this dream about a a hillside or a mountainous ride you'd been on. You'd been on horseback somewhere. And you just remember seeing just scenery that does not look anything like Chicago, nothing like you saw during the war either. But you only saw it in flashes, and it was only as you were coming to consciousness. And so, I mean, you've barely pulled the sleep away from your eyes before the last after images of some strange place still in print there on your brain. I mean, maybe it's the booze. I really got to take my mind off this. How are you going to do it? Well, I will get dressed, 
and I will do a couple things I have to be I have to get done. Okay. First, I'm going to swing by the church. It makes you know, sense. Family church. Sure. Uh, I re- I have realized that I have not gone to confession in a while, and I definitely have some things on my mind. Would you have some things you'd like to confess? Yes. Okay, that's fair. So, uh, nice Irish family church in Chicago. Easy enough to uh, you have you already have a church to go to. So right. Yeah, you'd probably get dressed enough, knowing you you has been a little while since you've been there, and you head on down. The church is open to you, obviously, and there's a a father there waiting to hear your confession. Well, I'll get into the uh, confessional. You open the wooden door and then find your seat and then slide the well, somewhat rickety door closed. It It sticks a little. You don't know if it's the moist air or if it's the weathered wood, but it is followed by another very smooth movement of wood on wood as the divider between the booze part just slightly. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Good morning, my son. How long has it been since your last confession? Uh, A couple of weeks. What weighs on your mind and soul? In the last couple of weeks, I have, my job has brought me uh, into violent confrontations. I have killed men. In self-defense? Sometimes. These are troubling times we live in. Unfortunately, the sins of man have pushed him into hot-tempered nature. I know you, my son. I know that you served this nation in war and continue to serve the community. I, uh, I came in contact with a, uh, a group of men in evil purposes. Hmm. Evil? Yes, they um, worship of dark beings, dark activities. Dark, you say? In what way? What what made them dark? Torture, murder, sacrifice of some type. And these are the men that you... Yes, they were in the middle of some evil plot to poison the city and surrounding areas. I see. I fought, the, uh, fought many of them, and then at the end I uh, executed the leader thought that was the only way to stop it, shut it down. He was a man of means and power. And do you believe it has been stopped? I hope so. And do you feel sorrow for your transgressions against your fellow man? It's not the first time I've killed. That is not the answer I am looking for, my son. I want to know if you feel sorrow. Am I, am I sorry that I had to kill those men? Yes. Whatever havoc you may have wrought, if you have the ability to feel sorrow still, then there is some pathway back into the Lord's light for you. I can say a prayer to God and seek forgiveness for you, provided you are willing to do your part in penance. Thank you, Father. My son, you must move away from this violence. It only begets more violence. It is a unyielding circle that humanity finds itself in. But sometimes to do the right thing, you have to fight evil. Mm. I agree. There are many ways to fight evil. Many ways. I see. When you go... Seek the grace of Mother Mary. Ten Hail Marys to her, and I will absolve you of this. Thank you, Father. You get up to go, and suddenly your 
mind is racked by an, an afterimage of Jonathan Swift plummeting down a hole. And you see it from his eyes as they still linger with some leftover mental capacity. You see his view of you as you dump him into the hole. And as his body cascades down that long, dark shaft, at the end you feel you feel the sensation of a massive set of jaws close around his body, hug it tight until the bones and sinew inside the meat sack that was left of him become nothing more than crunched and garbled humanity. And then you get the father's voice. My son, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I just had a moment. But please go, there are others waiting. Yes, of course. You get out and you see like a couple of people waiting. There's an, an older woman. You've seen her in church before. Her eyes are very wide. And she seems to be doing her best to not make eye contact with you. Ma'am, walk past. Head to the front of the church or you head to the area where you do your Hail Marys. You get some sense that you did the right thing. You know that that's not the first time the father of this church has probably had someone confess to him that they've killed people. I mean, this is this is a church in Chicago in the 20s. He's probably heard all sorts of stuff. But you also know that it probably won't be the last time you're in here. Yep. So now that you're it's sold, Chicago. So so now that you're sold and washed clean. How would you like to dirty it next? I have to go and... I don't like this. I have to go and speak to the... Who's in charge of Arellano? Of what? Um, Louis. Two-gun. Louis Altieri? Yeah, Altieri. Who does, he work, who does he work for? He works for the outfit. All right. So getting a hold of someone in the outfit is going to be a very complicated matter. At least yeah. without getting... Right. Yeah. They're usually not the people you're looking for. Right. Okay. Okay. That's a reasonable thing. So I guess where would you look for someone? Um, I mean, there's obviously uh, known uh, associations with them. Yeah, absolutely. They've got all sorts of uh, businesses and clubs and, you know, regular old fronts that are common businesses. Yeah, I'm go to one of them you know there's a deli that you are at least somewhat familiar with kind of a bit a bit north of where you are at right now uh, that you could probably go to and scare up maybe some kind of contact is Torio uh, heading the outfit right now 1923 Johnny Torio I believe 21 is it I thought it was 21 no it's 23 it's 23 <laughs> yeah don't let the uh, Larkin yeah was, see I'm, I'm confused because no, I, I understand <laughs> it can be uh, a little confusing what with you know visions these. and yeah from what your character would know uh, Johnny Torio is still the head of the outfit all right. Okay. Um, so you would want to go into the Chicago Loop area? Yep. Uh, that would be where, if you're looking to get a hold of Johnny Torrio, then that's... That's the place to go. The place to go. All right. So that, that is where you're headed? Yep. Okay. Well, that'll, that's all sorts of fun waiting for us to <laughs> get into. 
Mr. Forsyth, it's been a little while since we've spoken to you. Yes. <clears throat> you are still in the cave, if memory serves correctly. I am. The last I knew, I was talking with a very large person. Two very large people, actually. Mm. Um, you are in a cave, mm-hmm. uh, which had a, which at one end has a very long staircase that goes back up. It also has a quite literal column of fire in the middle of it, in a kind of a an altar or a brazier or something like that. Big yeah. column of fire in the middle of it, and then there's beyond that in one section of this cave, there's a wide table with two men very large men sitting at it and uh, adorned with uh, strange, almost medieval robes. Yes, they've been talking to me about things that don't make any sense at all. No, but no, that, that's very sense. true. They, they, no, well, life doesn't make sense right now to you. No. They, the one on the left cocks his head and says... Do you know where you are to go from here, Forsyth? No. You can have the stones. Yes. You said I was to give them to the others. You are. Those five stones will help have you on the way and may keep your soul from coming to the dreamlands too soon. The dream ends? Yes. Our cave. Spoken gateway. When we came down the stairs, we allowed you to finish the cave. We found you worthy. It was us that called you here. I... Out of character, I literally have nothing to say here because this is so far out of my bounds of experience that I might as well be, Dumb you know, bounded. I might as well be in darkest Africa right now sure. trying to talk to a native because nothing he's saying makes any sense at all. So if I just stay quiet, maybe I can get out of here. And... Okay. I think that's totally fair. Yes. You must leave. You must save the sounds. And you must walk up the stairs and rejoin your physical world. He, the one whispers in the dark, the one mocks and laughs from great and he is come. You must take the sons. You must find your others. All right. <laughs> I just want to go home. The uh, one of the the figure on the left stands up again. You see him walk around the table and then over towards you. Not in any way menacing, right? Uh, you actually don't get that feeling from him at all. It's actually very. Um, it's a, almost a fatherly feeling, and he takes and places his hand in this column of fire. And then you see him pull a bit of it out, almost as if it's moldable and shapeable. It almost falls from his massive hand, and he seems to cup it with mm-hmm. the other one. and kind of forms it into a bit of a ball. And then slowly exhales over it until its light dims considerably. So it's like blowing the light out. Uh, it's softening it. Yeah. For sure. He produces a small stick. Mm-hmm. And he places this ball of softer light on top of it and hands it to you. I just look at it because this is this makes no sense at all. It looks a lot like a torch. It looks like a torch, but the thing I'm seeing can't possibly exist in my world. So this is a very powerful dream. <laughs> and we need light. 
offices here you go. Yes. And I turn and I start going up the stairs as fast as humanly possible. You begin going up the stairs. There's a lot of stairs. I remember that. You are a very, very fit man. Mm -hmm. You are not uh, a stranger to labor. No. But after the first 150 stairs... Good Lord. You slow a bit. Yes. Um, It's the next 150... When the cavern below has completely winked out of existence, you can no longer see it. That is when you reach the point where you see the tree to your left again. This massive trunk that rides alongside the staircase. And you see where that bit of bark that you tried to hold on to, you see it there. You know that you've been to this place before. Right. You know that if you simply keep seeking higher and higher on the stairs, somehow you know, you have no idea how you know, but you know if you keep with this frenetic pace of going up and up and up, you will get out of this place. And that's what I want because I know what goes the other way. <laughs> yeah, as much of the word, I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I'm not going to haggle right here now the word no, but yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've been I've been down the stairs. You have been, and and as strange as it was, I don't think I want to go any further down. So let's go up. You continue your march up. Um, The stick and this ball of light is nearly faded. Uh, It is all but a a a nub in your hand, no larger than six or seven inches at this point. It's nearly useless. The stairway itself, though, has brightened. Yeah. So it is now not needed. And you cast it aside. No. Meaning you You cast it aside, needing the handhold Ah, as the incline of the stairs has grown. It becomes an arduous task, those next 300 stairs. Jesus. You climb for hours, or what seems like hours, and you climb and climb and you flop over onto one of the stairs, completely exhausted, and you know, you can feel the next stair right next to you, you can feel the the cold stone right next to you. And you give a long exhale. And when you open your eyes, there's a group of men over you. It's the work team. You see a lantern in your your face momentarily, and then you see flashlights. Sir, are you all right? Mr. Forsyth, you all right? Where'd he go? Get him some water. Get him up. You see, you you feel yourself dragged to your feet by several men. I look around as much as I'm able to. You're in the foundational area of the Tribune Tower. Yes. Your work team is here. Uh, One of the men has pressed a canteen of water towards you. We scared the rest of them off. Did you find anybody down here? Yes. Is he still here? Hmm? He knocked me out. I didn't see anybody down here. Check again. You and you, go over there and check. We gotta get you up these stairs and get you back to the tent. You got a lump on your head. First, let me... Just give me a moment. Uh, I want to look around. Okay, you look around. I want to see if anything has been disturbed. If any of my stones that were so carefully set in these foundations have been moved or removed. Mm -hmm. 
or changed from the way I put them. Okay. If I can remember. Yeah, you can go ahead and give me a spot hidden roll. See if you can see if there's any difference. Uh, that is a 12 out of 34, so that is a excellent success. Yeah, it's hard for sure. Hard, hard success. It does not appear that any of them have been moved. What the devil? You see one of the workmen near one of the stones, the one from Great Wall in China. Mm-hmm. You see them looking over the work that's been done. He looks back at you. This looks like it's sealing up real well. Yes, let's get out of here. Oh. Yes, sir. They come back over and... Haul me up. <laughs> you have a bit of your your breath, but you do definitely take their assistance. Yeah. Uh, it's, you're still a bit starry-eyed at this point. I'm sure there's a lump on my head, maybe some blood, because I fell yeah. on stone. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so you get uh, there's a first aid kit there at the tent, and you get. Um, the, I doubt any of them have any first aid knowledge. They those, do not. Uh, they do not. But uh, they they tell you that they know a doctor or a barber that could call if you'd like a little help. Uh, yes. Uh, just some ice, I mm. think. All right, they send one of the one of the guys off to go get ice. You relax a bit in the tent. Uh, the ice eventually arrives, and it is a welcome respite from the throbbing pain you now have at the back of your head. So, um, Gus, is it? Yep. Uh, is Gus there he in is. the tent? So, what people did you chase off? There were two men. They didn't look like nothing more than workmen, but they had black jackets on, and they had tools. They were here to take something. Well, we spooked him real good. Fred, he points at one of the other guys. Fred hit one of them upside the head with that shovel. Didn't get him down all the way. You see Fred kind of tap the shovel against the ground as almost a... Yeah. Gives it a, a grin. Uh, they managed to get away, but I don't think they're coming back tonight. Make sure that hole in the in the fence is secure. Already and, done. Uh, thank you, Gus. Oh. Now you said somebody I, hit you. Yeah. Yes, there was somebody in 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 the pit. Mm. Well, I tell you, Mister McCombs got some strange people. So, we're just gonna sit on this tonight. The rest of the night, then. Yes. Oh. All right, well. I think it might be a good time for you to have a little more of this whiskey. That sounds like a damn fine idea, Gus. (laughs) The rest of the night for you, relatively speaking, goes uneventful. You eke out the rest of that late night shift. Mm -hmm. Uh, Five o'clock arrives, and the crews for the morning work start coming in and the architect shows up uh, you've managed to get most of the swelling down yeah Gus did have a um, not so much a doctor but a friend of his that uh, that did some barber work and whatnot came in and gave it a look it doesn't the guy said it doesn't look too bad uh, but he does uh, he, he will get the benefit of a first aid roll for you. Well, uh, how much damage did I take from that hit? Oh, anyway? uh, you actually take two points of damage. Okay. So you took actual damage. Yeah. Uh, and he is able to heal one of it. All right. With first aid. So you got knocked around a little bit, but it's not a complete failure. It's been that kind of week for me. I'm I've I've been kind of. Knocked around, and I'm still not a hundred percent from the gunshots either. So. No, 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 that's very true. Um, I, th- I think I need to take a couple of days off. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. Uh, you go home that Friday morning because uh, with the with the root work, the actual big crews here. Um, yeah. Uh, first, I will uh, call Laszlo. Okay. And let him know that uh, the 
Well, first off, before I leave, I'll take one last look down at the foundation, see how well it's setting, or if it has set. So the, the pieces that you put in are relatively small, and by the time that morning, the morning sun gets up, uh, most of those pieces are infirm. They're not going to move it, not unless somebody takes a real hammer and chisel to it. Then before I go home, I'll find a phone, phone box. Mm-hmm. I'll call Laszlo. Mm-hmm. And I'll let him know that uh, most of the uh, pieces are set. Okay. The rest are in the foundation and almost set. And um, um, some people tried to break in, but uh, the workmen drove them off and did an excellent job of it. Good. Uh, that sounds great. I will put in a good word for Gus. And Well... Uh... I mean, he, he, he obviously knows his work. Laszlo uh, says that he'll pass your words on to yeah. the colonel, and then he hopes that you can get some sleep, and soon enough you'll be hearing from them directly. I may need a couple of days off, though. I took a knock on the head. Ah, uh, think nothing of it. Why don't I tell you what. Why don't you just give me a ring... And let me know when you're back up feeling ready, and then we'll see what else the colonel has got for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, and then I will go home and uh, have a little libation and uh, pass right the freak out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not hard to do. You get home probably about 10 or so, um, but it isn't. it doesn't take it much more than 10.30 or so before you're ready to fall. Yep. Right to sleep. Um, one last thing. Yeah. Do I have those stones on me, or did I dream that? You sit down in your chair at the house, and you have a, you know, a a nip, and you're just trying to relax a little bit, so you kind of swirl the drink around a little bit, and with, with with Gus and the workmen and with the foundation and everything... You suddenly snap to and realize that, wait a minute, I was sent with a bunch of stones. And you reach into the field equipment bag that you brought, and you find five obelisk, lapis lazuli style, at least that's their color, stones. So I just kind of hold them in my hand because... I mean, this was all a dream, but now all of a sudden I have these stones. Mm-hmm. You bet. And... That's when you roll sand. Yes. <laughs> oh. Uh, no. 88. That's not going to do it. Okay. Very good. So, Mr. F- Mr. I don't see anything big and bad. Uh, you are going to go ahead and lose three sanity. Jesus. Jesus. It's nothing. Joseph. <laughs> yes, says the occultist. Um, I'm still above my starting point, so I'll take it. You, you <laughs> hold on to the stones for a moment, and you feel the earthiness. You feel the cool, almost... Uh, just the, the cool, pervasive nature of each one of them. And you realize somewhere there were two massive men dressed in ecclesiastical robes from the Middle Ages who charged you with distributing these stones because there is something, a a crawling chaos coming for mankind. And all of that could be dismissed. All of it. Every word, every image, every single solitary stair step that you made could be wished away. Except I have these stones. That's right. I take another drink, and then I go to bed. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't even get undressed. I don't. Miss O'Shea, you place a couple of calls mm-hmm. to some clubs you know, and as 
luck would have it, one of them is in need of talent uh, for Saturday night. Okay. It is an upscale jazz club. Okay. On the south side of the downtown area. Okay. And they are looking for you to fill a one-hour portion of their entertainment. That should be pretty easy. Let's hope. It's a club called Davidson's. Have I? Yeah, I've been there, right? Before? Uh, this is a club you have not been to before. A lot of the clubs that you were, that you'd gone to before, some of them weren't obviously as protected as the Kiss, so they come and go pretty rapidly. Okay. Um, a lot of the clubs in the Chicagoland area are retrofitted from being Nickelodeons. Mm-hmm. So they used to show little cinematic pictures right. uh, and used to serve sodas and stuff like that. And since the big theaters are are getting to be more and more uh, popular, the Nickelodeon clubs have been taken over and turned into gin joints and speakeasies and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. So, but yeah, you have a gig. So at some point you're going to have to get uh, gussied up and uh, that may mean uh, it's time for you to see a hairstylist or a beautician or... You know, reinvest in your non-occultist yeah. inventory. Yeah, it's been a little while, so yeah, I'll probably um, call Jimmy and have him take me. Yeah, probably to get my hair done and probably to pick up a dress or something. So okay, you give Jimmy a call. And he tells you that he's got a few things already on the docket for the morning, but he can probably fit you in around 2 o'clock. Okay. What? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. I I got a job on Saturday, so... Oh, yeah, I just hadn't heard from you this past few weeks, right? Oh, I went to go see my mother. Oh, all right, all right. Well, I hope she's well. Thank you. Mr. Doyle, you find an establishment. All right. You find the delicatessen in question. It's on a fairly busy street. It's about probably noon by the time you get over there. Lunch crowds shuffling in. Seems to be a fair amount of people. I'll get something to eat. Yeah. I mean, it's a delicatessen, so there's a there's a lunch counter, uh, and it's basically a, a line of people that go in on one door and come out on the other. Uh, there's a lot of eggs and, and just people hanging out outside eating lunch. It's a reasonably nice end of March day. Mm-hmm. So, and it's Friday, so there's definitely a groove to some of the people who are here <clears throat> knowing that uh, some people don't necessarily have to work tomorrow. Uh, You see a lot of younger kids hanging out here, too. Kids that you think might have been in school. Um, But these these kids are applying their own trade, it seems. And then when you get into the deli, you see that there's four or five tables in the back, and a few of them are uh, populated by groups of men. Right. Just looking it over, is anyone who looks like they might be, uh, I don't know, the top of the heap here? A mafioso? Um, there's a guy in back who doesn't have a jacket on. He's got a white dress shirt, suspenders, no tie right now. It looks like he's on break, almost. Um, but you don't, the, there's no way with the clothes he's wearing right now, he works at a deli. Right. 
Uh, he's got an empty food plate in front of him, and it seems like him and a couple of the guys are uh, having a soda. Right. Or, or whatever might be in the drink container. All right. Well, I won't. Uh, before I approach, I'm going to pull a business card out. I don't want to reach into my pocket to pull a business card out when I approach. Okay. Yeah, it's not a, probably not a half bad idea. Right. Now I walk up the table and uh, I'm gentlemen. I put my I put my business card down the table. I'd appreciate it if uh, Mr. Torrio got that card. I have something to talk to him about. Some information he might want. One of the other gentlemen at the table leans over and takes a card from his um it looks like they're playing some sort of uh, gin or something like that. and he kind of puts a card against a stack of cards and your PI huh yeah yeah you know I gotta tell you Mr. Torrio seems to find a way to solve his own problems. I don't uh, have any business with him myself. I just uh, thought there's something he might want to know. Information. That's all. Another one of the gentlemen, not the guy with the white shirt and no tie, he leans forward and kind of gives you a pretty quick once-over. Why do you think... We know Johnny Torrio. Maybe you don't. Just the same. You think Johnny Torrio comes in here? No, I don't think Johnny Torrio comes in here. I don't know. I don't know anything about Mr. Torrio. The guy in the white shirt says, You don't think Johnny Torrio will come in my deli? I'm offended. He gives you a broad smile. Leave your card, Mr. Doyle. If Johnny wants something from you, he'll reach out to you. Yeah. If, of course, he gets a card. I mean, you know, you probably don't know him, right? <clears throat> he is a popular fellow. But your pastrami sandwich is excellent. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we get it from a local... We get the pastrami done from a local butcher. Oh, yeah? Nice. You yep. should try the veal. That good? It's best in town. Maybe I will. Gentlemen? They go back to playing their card game. You feel four or maybe five sets of eyes on you as you walk out. The kids who were messing around out here earlier, they're gone. Um, You see one guy near the edge of the street kind of looking for something. He passes you by and you hear him mumble about something about that he must have lost his wallet. The kids. Huh? The kids. Your wallet. I'm sorry, what? They're pickpockets. Who are? The kids that were hanging out here. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I just got into town. I, I've never been to Chicago before. Well, welcome to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Drat. <laughs> Guy heads back in the deli. You hear his voice from the open doorway. Any of you guys know a bunch of kids that hang out here? I continue on. It's probably <laughs> the best. Miss O'Shea, you're pouring over some of the more intricate spell pages that were once part of this book. And you run your eyes along some of the lettering and some of the artistry work of what this what this spell must have been and you find yourself daydreaming 
an not uncommon practice for you. No. When you're daydreaming, however, the scene turns strange. You find yourself in a hallway, and you seem to be rushing down the hallway. As you're rushing down the hallway, you can see in front of you, you see Mr. Forsythe. You see Doyle. Uh, you see Doyle kick open a door. And then you see him brandish a pistol. It seems that Mr. Forsythe has some sort of crowbar or some sort of baton in his hand. It's all happening very fast. And when Doyle kicks open the door, you hear a monstrous hiss from inside. You haven't gotten a chance to see what's in there yet. And as you duck in, you see uh, a very pale figure. Uh, dark hair. Uh, skin that's gone uh, ghost white. Hunkered over a, a body. Which seems to have gone from a simple warm fleshly state to almost a mummified raisined skin. This figure kind of covering the body with its own form. It its mouth has opened with rows of circular sharp teeth. And it lets out a hiss as Doyle moves into the room and begins firing. The two of them battle back and forth for a moment, with Forsythe trying to beat it back into position, scoring a few well-struck hits with his crowbar. But this beast refuses to yield. Eventually, they, they tackle it momentarily to the ground, and with a few swift, sharp cracks the crowbar, Doyle and Forsythe leave its skull cleaved, letting blood and all manner of brain tissue all over the floor. The heaving human bodies in the room, your fellow investigators, turn to you. The doctor comes in over your right shoulder and covers his mouth immediately and gasps. Another man enters behind the doctor. You see a African-American gentleman, the smart suit and a kind of a strange, almost fearsome look on his face. He's seen too much today. He says, Larkin's missing. I don't know where he is. Nobody can find Larkin anywhere. Miss O'Shea, you, you know, somehow you know during this daydream that this man's name is Jesse. And that he's here with you, wherever it is that you are. You see Mr. Forsyth pick through this, what looks like a storeroom, this looks like what they burst into. And he picks out a long strip of gold inlay. It's, I don't know, perhaps a couple of feet long, made of solid gold. And it's artistically made. And it seems to have been broken in, off of something, as if it was once part of a bigger contiguous piece. Can I tell if it has any writing on it? Um... It has some sort of imagery on it. It's difficult for you to make out at this point. The mummified corpse that this creature was clutching is nearby it as well. It looks as almost as if it has, uh, it may have been looking at it. You can tell too that the creature that they struck down in this room it seems to have some sort of burn on its hand. And the burn width matches very much this gold inlay. 
Mr. Forsythe tucks the gold inlay into his jacket, and you hear him say, We have to find Larkin. Now. And as the people, your fellow investigators, rush from the room, so does the vision of this strange place rush from your eyes. Hmm. Can I find reference to Larkin in anything? Um, it's the first time you're hearing the name Larkin. Although your mind seems to key in on his name and then uh, conjures the name Augustus with it as well. Okay. Hmm. And I haven't seen that name anywhere? No, you haven't. And the, the strangest part about this vision was that the fellow investigators that are with you, people that you've come yeah. to know, they were years younger in this vision. Hmm. I'm going to um, call the operator. Operator. Can I uh, get connected to um, Augustus Larkin? Hmm. He should be in town. I have a Larkin. I have several Larkins, but I don't have any Augustus Larkin. Are you sure he's here in Chicago? Hmm. I thought he was here. Maybe I'm mistaken. Thank you. Okay. She hangs up. I have to keep looking. You will have to keep looking. I'll go to the library. Really? Fascinating. An investigator going to a library. Whew. All right. <clears throat> so you go to the Chicago Public Library. This will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to see if I can track down articles maybe that mention him absolutely it's a library use role oh sweet I have that you should oh I gotta mark my language but it's bad when you roll 100 huh <laughs> ooh yes that is what we would call a fumble Awesome. Yes. All those points in the library wasted. No, well, not wasted. Just It just didn't work out for you that time. Uh, so you spend the better part of, I don't know, four or five hours searching through articles about people named Larkin. And you have some bits of information. You were somewhere uh, just from... This strong, strong vision. You were somewhere warmer. And you remember seeing uh, in the storeroom, there were a couple of labels. And they were all in Spanish. And so you, you start thinking maybe you were in, maybe it was in Mexico or maybe somewhere south, far south border. Which doesn't make any sense to you initially. And you search and search and search. And you come across a couple of Larkins. A couple of A Larkins. And you start doing research into them. It takes you from uh, the New York area back to England. Eventually France. You track them all the way through. uh, Until about the... Uh, you know, early 1800s into a region in France. And after about three or four hours, you think you have a pretty good idea about who Larkin is. And that's when you realize that it's not Augustus Larkin that they're referring to. It's Adolphus Larkin they're referring to. Awesome. And... It is only slightly infuriating that you've wasted so many hours, but <clears throat> it's uh, it's one rabbit hole. You don't have to go back down. Yeah, I'll look at that later. I got things to do. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna uh, you're gonna probably have to get back to uh, your place so Jimmy can pick you up. Yes. Okay. So 
I'm going to call it there for the evening. And then when we pick back up next section, uh, we have a new speakeasy to take a look at. We have whatever might come from your business card drop-off. And then hopefully, Mr. Forsyth will have woken up. Hopefully. Unless he fell on the side of stairs or something like that. Concussion protocol. That's a perfect idea. We should put him in like a blue medical tent and everything. Yeah. So we will see you folks on the next session. Yeah.